Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined today by Justin Coleman as we discuss the Reds system. Justin, uh, the new hire here at BA, took uh, the Tigers and the Reds for uh, his first farm systems here. Justin, the Reds are uh, a top 10 farm system in baseball per our most recent organizational talent rankings. A lot of that is carried by the guys at the top, Nick Senzel, Taylor Trammell, Hunter Green. Um, as we all know, the Reds have had a, a pretty uh, poor run of seasons at the Major League level. Give us reasons for optimism, or I should say give the city of Cincinnati reasons for optimism that it might end soon. Yeah, so I think in terms of player development, I think there's a lot of optimism to be had around the organization. I think they are deep in terms of infielders. I think they are conscientious of developing pitchers. I think that's always a million-dollar question for Cincinnati is where are they going to get the starting pitching from and how is it going to translate to a great American ballpark. So I think that when you have uh, marquee pieces like a Senzel, like a Hunter Green, uh, the recent draftee, Jonathan India, when those guys are at the top of the list, I think they're really high-impact big leaguers who should be uh, adding value at the major league level relatively soon. So you hit on a little bit. The Reds have, just to be completely frank, utterly failed to successfully develop pitching uh, whether it's guys they drafted, whether it's guys that were touted prospects when they were acquired. Uh, again, you know, Robert Stevenson, Cody Reed, Amir Garrett. Uh, it's a very, very long list, and it's caused them a lot of problems. And we mentioned five straight losing seasons. And it's not like they've been, like, close, like, oh, we're 78 and 84. It's four straight seasons of at least 94 losses. Uh, they are headed for another top 10 pick in this upcoming draft. In that regard, Hunter Green, who is not number one in this system, um, but was the number two overall pick in 2017. Obviously had a lot of, a lot of hype and a lot of it well-deserved. Uh, he showed off a little bit why at the Futures game, throwing every single pitch over 100. But as we see so, 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 so often, guys who throw that hard at 18 break down. Um, he has a torn UCL. They are not doing Tommy John surgery as of yet. They're letting him try to rehab it. What is the update on Hunter Green and just talking with evaluators both inside and outside the organization, what was the overall sense of where he's at in his development independent of the injury? Yeah, so I think as far as the injury goes, I think that's obviously going to really slow his timeline down considerably. I don't think they're in any need to kind of rush him at all. I think when he does come back, he still has a lot of work to do. You know, this is a guy that's got a really big arm, triple-digit fastball, plus-plus fastball. Uh, plus slider, a guy who's got very clean mechanics. I think the one separator for him right now is I think he needs to work more on his changeup. Lefties hit him pretty good last year, and when he when he pitched for Cincinnati, and um, I think for me that's that's kind of the one big difference moving forward for Hunter Green is how good is that changeup going to be? If that really comes along well and shows more average to plus, you're looking at more of a frontline guy. Uh, but the book is still out. I think you have to kind of wait and see. You know, he's very athletic. He's obviously hungry. Cincinnati's very invested in him, and rightfully so. Uh, he's got all the, the tools to, uh, to be a frontline guy, and so time will tell, you know, as far as how his pitches come along, and, and obviously he needs to deal with the injury first. In regards to, you know, his, his progress, I think one of the most promising things was, was early in the year, he really, really struggled uh, with Dayton. 
And beyond just the fact that it had been struggles uh, when he was on the mound, well, it was related, a lot of short outings. His first couple outings, three innings, two and a third, two thirds, two innings, inning and two thirds. Uh, and even then when he started to come around, was still four innings, three and a third. He wasn't really building up, but all of a sudden around June, you start seeing five innings, five innings, six and two thirds innings, six innings. And then on July 2nd, he had his best start as a professional, seven scoreless innings, two hits, no walks, 10 strikeouts. I think what's probably so much of a bummer, beyond just the fact you lose a talented kid like this to an injury, is he was really starting to, to kind of round into form there. And right around the time that happened is when this hit him. Yeah, and the, uh, there's no question. I mean, I think in terms of the shorter outings, I think Cincinnati is really looking for trying to make sure that he learns uh, early on in the system the importance of pitchability. You know, it's a guy that uh, he's obviously got premium stuff. He's going to blow away a lot of minor league hitters, no question. But I think when you have him in those shorter stints, and you know, Cincinnati's people they talked about this uh, that you know, hey, look, it's important for him to kind of be cognizant from start to start or appearance to appearance to make adjustments. And so that was really big. And I think you were starting to see, as you had referenced there, um, all of it was kind of coming together for him, which is why it was such a bummer. It was tough, I mean, to, to see a guy like that go down with a, an elbow injury. And he's obviously got big time stuff. And to see him kind of slowly piecing things together, um, you know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to play on him now as we move forward. And we see kind of how he, how he comes back and how he bounces back from the injury. So. What is the timeline in terms of him getting back on the mound? What's the most recent update you got? Uh, no, I mean, there's no, there's no update that's been given to me. I mean, I think it's, it's going to be more rehabilitation. I think they're going to go into spring training, make sure he's okay, uh, slowly build up his innings. He's going to obviously be going back to shorter stints, pitching one or two innings at a time, nothing like the 6-7 straight out of the gate. That won't be happening. I think you're going to see him more short season if he is – really progressing well this coming season, then obviously um, uh, full season ball isn't out of the question. But I do think that Cincinnati has, um, has plans to be, to be extra protective of him, and rightfully so. The number one prospect in this system is Nick Senzel, another number two overall pick uh, in 2016. Shot up the minors, was in AAA last year at the start, looked ready to joined the major league team, you know, potentially as soon as, you know, the all-star break last summer. Then he gets hurt. Uh, he goes with a, about a vertigo, which has affected him twice. And then he suffers a, a season-ending injury uh, to his hand. Where is he right now? And, and what's the expectation for him heading into 2020? Yeah, I, th I think the organization is looking for him to bounce back and be healthy. I think, you know, they, that's, that's kind of what they're looking for. I think that they realize he's very advanced in all areas of the game. It's an impact bat profile. He's a guy that can move around the diamond a bit. I think they trust him in that regard. I think, um, you know, it's gonna be touch and go to see does the vertigo come back? How, do, how does that play into his development? I mean, he is right there. He's on the cusp of the big leagues. I think it's a matter of just ensuring that he gets more reps and uh, he proves his health. And I think once he does that, he should be uh, in the big leagues relatively soon. Senzel was drafted as a third baseman, began playing more second base. The Reds, just to be frank, are a little short on big league talent. The two places they have it are second base and third base. Scooter Jeanette, Eugenio Suarez, both of whom were all-stars last year, very deservedly <clears throat> so, two of the best players at their positions. And we all know that it's the prospect's job to move the big leaguer off. And right now, now that those guys are moving, as such, we've seen uh, Nick Senzel when he returned after his finger injury. 
uh, volunteer to play the outfield a little bit and instructs. Um, there's some talk of center field, corners always in, in the conversation. What's the, what's the news on that after your discussions with Reds officials? Uh, I think long term they still see him on the infield. I think they still view him more at third base. But as you said, though, they do have uh, Eugenio Suarez there, and he's obviously done a really fine job, and he's locked up to uh, a, a contract. So I think what they will start to do, at least in the short term, is play off of his versatility. I think you're, you, you definitely hit the nail on the head when you said about the outfield. I think that's definitely a spot where he would be fine in one of the corners. I'm not sure about center, but I think one of the corners would be fine for him. Uh, and then to eventually come back to the infield and long-term be the third baseman. That would be kind of the sense that I get. Um, but again, they're, they're lucky that he's not just a bat first guy. You know, this is a guy that's very athletic, team first guy, is willing to go out there and to, to add value any way he can. So I think in the short term, it's probably going to be outfield play and looking at his versatility to add value and then eventually moving back into the infield. We talked about all those injuries. Uh, the vertigo was the second time he had dealt with that in 15 months. You mentioned the fractured finger. Uh, and then he actually needed surgery to remove bone spurs from his left elbow. So there's been a lot of health situations here. Um, how nervous are the Reds people about this, if at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I think anytime you're, at, you're going, undergoing injury after injury, I think there's, there's obviously going to be some questions. I think what negates some of that is just how advanced he is and how close he is. You know, this isn't a guy that's in rookie ball or in single A. This is a guy that could be very impactful at the big league level this coming season. I think it, for them it's just about getting reps. Can they get him reps? Can they get him reps at different spots? And then capitalize on it from there. So I think uh, there might be some reason to be nervous, but uh, you know, overall the profile is, is really good and uh, you know, it's a talented guy and I think they will uh, reap the benefits real soon. He's hit at every level. Uh, we mm -hmm. mentioned he was limited AAA last year, but when he was on the field, hit 310, OPS near 900, uh, six homers in 44 games. You, you, know, you put that out to a full season, that's you know, uh, 20, 20 or so home runs. Long term, assuming health comes back, he's always been more about the bat. He can play, he's a, he's a really fine defender, but the bat is what's gonna separate him. What level of hit are we talking about here? We're talking about all-star, and if so, are we talking hit over power? Well, paint the picture for Reds fans, the type of hitter they can expect Nick Senzel to be. Yeah, so I think Nick Senzel is a guy that adjusts really well. I think having come from uh, his amateur background, I think he's a guy that has really good barrel control. Uh, I don't think it's going to be really one over the other in terms of hit over power or power over hit. I think he's going to really... Um, capitalize on both of those. I think this could be a, a 30 home run bat, you know, 290 plus hitter. Um, and I think that uh, he's definitely a middle of the order type. There's no question. That's he's, an MVP candidate, 290 yeah. with 30 bombs. That's yeah, an MVP that's, that's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's serious. Yeah, there's no question he's going to be a, a middle of the order type of bat. And I think that they're, they're invested in that. And I think that they're willing to, um, you know, wait out some of these injuries and, and then uh, use his versatility and then allow the offense to, uh, to shine once he gets up there. We talked about this red system being a top 10 system, but it's not because it's an overwhelming amount of depth. It's because of the quality at the top, which at the end of the day is what, what separates a lot of systems. Taylor Trammell uh, came in at number three, still behind Hunter Green. Trammell had an interesting year, where it was a, a pretty strong first half in the Florida State League, 
went to the Futures game, won Futures game MVP, and, and really, really held his own playing against a lot of the best of the best in the minor leagues. When he went back down to the Florida State League the rest of the year, was not very good, uh, hit 235 after coming back from the Futures game. What was the overall sense on, on Taylor Tremellon and his season as a whole, just given you know some of the, the positives and the negatives? Yeah, I mean, I think overall, I still think he's viewed as you know an extremely athletic guy who can still swing the bat. I know that the season was up and down, but I don't think there's any uh, true level of concern right now as far as you know uh, stunted growth or anything like that or anything that's going to carry over into the next season. You know, I still think that. It's a, it's a really talented profile, and this is a guy that, um, you know, he's in the top three for a reason, and I think that they, uh, they're really excited to have him in Cincinnati. Yeah, with Taylor Trammell, you know, he's a little further away. Um, what's the relative timeline here that Redskins should expect, and do you see him ending up more in a corner? Is he their everyday center fielder? What's the future for Taylor Trammell? Yeah, so he's athletic enough to play in center. Um, you know, he could easily fit into a corner. You know, I think the, the hit tool is definitely good enough. I think it's a, it's a plus hit tool. I think the power is going to be average, maybe solid average kind of power. Um, you know, this was a, a high school standout football player, and he's shown a, a really good feel for the game, and he controls his at-bats really well. Um, again, I, I think as, as far as Cincinnati's concerned in terms of their overall timeline, they can take their time and kind of slow play with some of these prospects and you know I don't see them actually rushing him at all you know I think he'll he'll return to to double a pretty soon and then um, you know see how that goes you know after the up and down season that he had recently the last guy that's kind of at the top here that really makes the system uh, as strong as it is is Jonathan India we talked about all these top five top ten picks the Reds have had he was their most recent one uh, had a standout career at Florida Right now, you know, he, he really elevated himself. This was not someone heading into the draft that people said, oh, this is a slam dunk. I should say heading into the year as, oh, this is a slam dunk guy who's going to be in the top 10, but really had this, the junior year to put himself in that conversation. Uh, what's the early word on Jonathan India and the early impressions he made in pro ball? Yeah, so I think his, his impression overall on the organization is that he's, you know, he's a really polished player. I think he's a bat over defense kind of guy right now but Cincinnati views him really uh, as a guy that does everything pretty well he comes from a polished pedigree he controls the game very well and so I think for them they're they're really excited to have him you know I think that's another it's another future infielder you know to an already uh, very crowded uh, infield group Beyond these top four, there is a little bit of a drop-off. Uh, Tony Santion did spend a little bit of time in the top 100, had a good, uh, a good season at AA. Um, again, guys like Tyler Stevenson, Shed Long, guys who have done some good things but maybe aren't seen as elite guys. You know, outside of those top four, who really, in your eyes, you know, kind of stood out to you in your discussions and, and made it seem like, okay, you know, he's, he's here now, but he has a chance to really pop? Uh, I think the one guy that stuck out to me was Mike Siani, the outfielder. Um, you know, I know that it's a very high-risk profile. Um, you know, that's a, it's a high school bat. Um, he's a guy that can really go get it in the outfield, uh, really gifted, has five-tool type of potential, outstanding defense. He has a feel for the game, great first step. He's instinctive. Um, you know, he's got some pop in the bat, sells out a little bit for the home run at time to time, but he's definitely a guy that I feel like could skyrocket up the system uh, pretty quickly, you know, in terms of his tools and 
his overall ability and again it's high risk but it's uh, you know it's a profile that I really like moving forward for them. Yeah, fourth round pick this year uh, I remember a couple of, of evaluators I talked to before the season said you know they liked him there were there was some debate about what the ultimate impact is but it was still big league comps and there's a lot of times fourth round high schoolers it's interesting to get a, a high schooler in the fourth round who pretty consistently is seen as a big leaguer. A lot of times those are seen as more, and you're right, there is a chance he really pops, but I thought it was interesting even talking to some evaluators, they felt some level of comfort that he would contribute in some form or fashion. It's just a matter of, you know, the levels there as opposed to a, a boomer bust type necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, part, of, part of what they like about him is just how under control he is. You know, this is a guy that's not unbridled. You know, he has a, a really good feel for the game, and I think the athleticism and the tools are really encompassed by that feel for how the game works. And I think that, uh, you know, with some reps, I think he'll definitely move up the, the system pretty quick. So Nick Senzel was the clear-cut number one in this system, especially given Hunter Green's injury and Taylor Trammell's second-half struggles. Uh, again, we talked about, you know, the top four were pretty set. Santion, was it safe to say he was a pretty clear number five in this, in this system? Yeah, mid, yeah, mid-rotation, you know, upside kind of guy. Uh, needs to focus a little bit more on command, but yeah, definitely a uh, safe, I think pretty safe number five. Once you get into this back half, you know, we mentioned Long, Stevenson, did it start to get a little more jumbled or was it pretty clear to you, okay, Stevenson's number six, Long's number seven, like how close was it, Gutierrez, Siani, was this more jumbled or was it still fairly clear cut? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was jumbled up for me, you know, I, I think um, there is a bit of a drop off after number five, you know, I think Stevenson has average big league upside and and of course the catching position is all, always premium uh, you know Shedlong's a guy that that can hit really well depending upon you know, how you view him in the field where is he gonna fit uh, Gutierrez kind of a back-end guy uh, Jeter Downs obviously been dealt away and then Siani has some upside but he's really high risk and there's there's not much uh, uh, minor league pre pedigree there just yet so I think for me you could really uh, mix and match those guys uh, how you want to Given the mix and match, how many of these guys would you say were you know clear-cut top ten guys of the, of the ten who made it to the top ten? How many of them were surefire top ten guys, and how many guys was a little more up in the air? Yeah, that's a good question. So out of the back five, I would say that three of them would have been clear-cut top ten guys. You know, I think the guys that come after that top ten. Siri, Stuart Fairchild, Josiah Gray was also traded, Jose Israel Garcia. Those are all guys that I seriously considered in the 9-10 spot. Um, but I think for me, in terms of looking at Vladimir Gutierrez's body of work and Siani's potential upside and athleticism, I think that kind of pushed them both into the top 10 over um, the other group that I had mentioned. You mentioned Jose Israel Garcia, and mm -hmm. part of what I, I intrigued me about him a little bit is the Reds have had a lot of success signing Cuban pitchers, Aroldis Chapman, Marcial Iglesias. On the other hand, some of their forays on the position player side, uh, namely Alfredo Rodriguez, have not gone well. Uh, Jose Israel Garcia, another Cuban position player, what's the early word on him? Um, <clears throat> so they like his defense a lot, you know, he's definitely a defense first guy right now. They challenged him in a pretty big way. Uh, you know, his first season stateside, um, played single A ball. And, you know, this is a guy that 
Um, he needs to show some more consistency in the field, but they do like the bat. I think the bat will come around. Even with a, a 245, 290, 344 slash line? Yes, they do. They, they, they believe it. They believe it's going to be there. They think he's athletic enough to the point where he'll, he'll hit um, for a bit more of an average. And if he can do that and add value on defense, then that's, that's a pretty nice profile. You know, as you said, Alfredo Rodriguez was obviously in the other direction. You know, that's a guy that kind of fell off a bit for them. But uh, considering that they, they challenged him, um, you know, that's, that's certainly someone that uh, Reds fans will probably have to keep an eye on moving forward. So, so even, again, I, I look at the other thing just on paper, 112 strikeouts to 19 walks. Um, I mean, even right. with that, there's, a, there's still confidence? Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, they're still confident about him. You know, they, they still think that, um, you know, part of that they feel like is just how much they challenged him this year, uh, coming over from Cuba and having his first season be stateside, I think was was a big was a big reason as to why some of that happened. Um, you know, they like the confidence, the maturity of him. They like his athleticism. They think that that's going to move from the defensive side to the offensive side. Could take some time, but they're still they're still optimistic. Big picture here, because the entire point of everything we do, you know, the farm system, you know, figuring out who's who's going to be the best ones. It's about the big league club. It's about who's going to help the big league club get the Reds back on the winning track. When you look at the system and where these guys are and, and the strengths and weaknesses of it, how long do you see it being before the Reds get back to, you know, forget playoff contention, j just a winning record? Because right now they're consistently 14, 15 games shy of that. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of one of these things where I think organizationally you're trying to build a really solid core. So they do have some of those players right now at the big league level. Um, they don't have a surplus of them, but what you're then hoping to do is you're hoping to add to that with the likes of a Senzel, a Green, a Trammell, an India, we Santian. We saw them make some trades, add Alex Wood, add Tanner right. Roark, Yasiel Puig, who has right. a long history of success hitting away from Dodger Stadium, moves into Great American Ballpark, there's a chance to really pop there. Matt Camp will provide some offensive juice, so I, I do think this team will be better, but for them to be sustainably better, it's going to take a, a large group of these guys hitting, and it still feels like that's two, three, maybe even four years away. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And the other thing as well is I think you're looking at the, the pitching. You know, I think the pitching is still is still far away for from them, um, for them, excuse me. And you know, Amir Garrett is kind of a guy like you look at that and you say, hey, that that's a big arm, big profile, and now he's pitching exclusively out of the bullpen. And you know, I, I don't think uh, organizationally, you know, they they want to have to go down that same route with a guy like Hunter Green or Santian or any of those guys. So I think for me, that's that that would be my answer. Would be I think they're still roughly two to three years away, possibly even four, uh, depending upon how quickly this group, especially in this top five here, can move up the rankings and join some of those guys that are already at that big league level right now. Yeah, Luis Castillo ha had a great season two years ago. Last year was a little rockier, but there's still something to work with. Uh, you know, Tyler Molly was serviceable, not great, but serviceable. Anthony Desclafani got healthy, and that, that made a difference. And again, he wasn't great, but it wasn't horrendous either. So there are some guys who are, again, serviceable, but it's still below average. Uh, you know, you go back and look at the Reds last season and, and their starters, uh, their top six guys who, who made at least 20 starts for them. Not a single one was a league average pitcher. Better, I mean, again, you, you can hope on Castillo to bounce back. Uh, Molly's still 23. You know, Sal Romano did not have a good year, but he's 24. You know, maybe something clicks. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, 
because we talk about the, the, this top group, Hunter Green being injured, you know, Tony Santillan, Vladimir Gutierrez, these are guys you mentioned that are more mid-to-back guys. It still feels like there are a couple of frontline arms short. Yeah, so I, yeah, I think that that that's that's a that's a serious point there. Is that when you talk about young pitching, obviously you're hoping it matures, but when you see them and they're posting lackluster seasons, back to back to back, and it's a group of very young guys, guys that you mentioned, now Brandon all of a sudden, Finnegan, Robert Stevenson on top of it, right? Those are guys that that fall into that bucket as well. Now all of a sudden you're looking at the player development system and you're saying, all right, well. Where are we going to get these big-time frontline arms? Is it going to be through the development system, or are you going to have to spend on a free agent? So now you're looking at Green's injury, and obviously that that's going to take some time. You know, that's not going to be something that they rush. And then, as you said, they haven't been very competitive, so they're obviously in a position where they can kind of wait this out. But I think uh, you know, there's there's a lot of development I think right now still to be done at the big league level for some of those pitchers. You know, I think they need to start to turn the corner. They need to show results and show that they can stick long term in Cincinnati's plan. You know, the Reds did make a, a few changes uh, to their pitching apparatus last year, uh, starting with firing, firing uh, their big league pitching coach. I think I think it's fair to say there is some skepticism in Cincinnati. Again, just given you know we, we talk about these guys. Reed and Stevenson and Finnegan, a lot of these guys were, you know, talented, you know, pitchers who, it's not like these were guys the Reds drafted or acquired and people are like, what are they doing? There was a sense there was real talent here and it seems like the failure was more on the development side than the initial identification side. What are the reasons for Reds fans to feel like maybe it'll be different now? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. I think... Again, I think each player, you're looking at them as a potentially unique case. I think that in terms of having so many high picks over and over and over again, you're hoping to land you know, an arm that's got big enough stuff to survive in Great American Ballpark. Um, that's obviously something that uh, you know, only time will tell uh, after having so many guys you know, produce lackluster seasons and possibly end up in a... You know, a, a failing category, um, you know, I, I still think there, there's, um, there's stuff to be figured out on the pitching side of things, and they're, they're cognizant of that, I think, in terms of their player development, because the biggest thing is how do you switch from having that success at the minor league level to then turning the switch, turning the page, and turning it on at the big league level. So I think that they're definitely aware of that, and I think they're definitely working um, on the development and, and hopefully that transition from the minors then to the majors, and I think that um, you know, stuff-wise, you know, guys like Hunter Green and Tony Santee, and they're pretty good. And you know, it's going to take some time to see whether those work out or not. But um, you know, you gotta you gotta hope that the changes that they make on the development staff and the changes that they make organizationally at the top and any kind of philosophical changes that they do make provide some type of comfort and hopefully success in the future. Absolutely. And again, there are some offensive pieces here. Obviously, you have Joey Votto who continues to be going strong into his mid 30s. Talked about Jeanette and Suarez. Scott Shebler has a, long been a personal favorite of mine. Jose Peraza, by the way, had a very fine year uh, you know, for a starting shortstop in the major leagues. Uh, there, there are pieces to work with. This is not a team that, that the cupboard is bare, but the arms need to get better. Um, just to wrap up real quick, Justin, anyone in your course of your discussions that you know, is not top 10 or maybe even top 15 right now, but there is a sense that you know, there's someone down below here who could really pop? I think two guys. Um, I would say outfielder Jose Siri 
and outfielder Mariel Batista. I think Jose Siri is much closer to the big leagues. I think that's a guy that Reds fans could see relatively soon. Um, he's a guy that can kind of do a little bit of everything. He's athletic. Uh, he fits in the outfield. Um, he's going to provide some value on offense as well. That's a guy that could move pretty quick over the next coming season or two. And then Mario Batista. Mario Batista is a very high-risk prospect, but he's a guy that outside of the organization and inside of the organization as well, uh, teams really like. He's very athletic, upside, good defender. He can swing the bat pretty well. And again, he's, he's far away from the big leagues, but he's definitely a name to watch as someone that could balloon and, and move quickly through the system. Absolutely. All right. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining us, for providing your insights. Uh, really appreciate it. For Justin Coleman, I'm Kyle Glazer. We'll be back with more Prospects podcasts soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.